Welcome, everyone, to the best of Let's Go with Tom Brady and Jim Gray. First up, we were joined by the legendary Oprah Winfrey in a very special Thanksgiving edition of our podcast. Well, I'm a little nervous, guys, because if you want to talk football, I am not your girl. <laughs> hey, X's and O's. That's what we're here for. We need instant analysis, win or lose. Okay. All right. But the house stands still when 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 the Buccaneers or, or formerly the Patriots come come into the house, right, Oprah? The house stands still. In our house, Stedman is like, I'm sorry, I Tom has a no. Tom has a game today. I'm sorry, I can't do whatever. Tom has a game today. Oh, okay. Tom has a game today. Uh, Everything stops. Nope, we can't have dinner at that time. Tom has a game today. Yeah. The best supporter and just a great yeah. man. So love yeah, Stedman. He's a great, great guy. What's Thanksgiving, the celebration like for you, Oprah? I know that you have a lot of the folks who you've mentored uh, come over and, and, and they're your kids. Uh, what's, what's the celebration at Oprah's house uh, for Thanksgiving? Well, like? we, we, we have a house full of girls and those girls are girls that I've been mentoring since they were 12 years old. And I first discovered them going around to townships and villages in Africa, in South Africa, since uh, Stedman and I stayed at Nelson Mandela's house in 2002. We spent 10 days at Nelson Mandela's house. And I was so nervous when Nelson Mandela said, you must come and stay at my house because I was doing something called Christmas kindness where I was going around from village to village taking toys and clothes and books to children. And Nelson Mandela said, oh, you, I said, I said no, we have our, we have our place at, uh, at the hotel. He goes, no, 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 I insist you must come to my home. So I was such a nervous wreck. Like I was saying to Stedman, oh my God, oh my God, we have to spend 10 days, that means 10 meals with, Nelson Mandela, like I can get through a meal, but I was thinking 10, I'll have 10 meals worth of conversation. Okay. And Sam and I said, Oh, what are we going to do? And he said, why don't you try listening? So <laughs> I said, what are we going to talk about? He goes, why don't you work? Don't worry about talking. Why don't you try listening? And which is exactly what, what I ended up doing. Cause you don't have to talk a lot. If you're around Nelson Mandela, he does all the talking. So at that time, at the end of that visit, uh, Tom and Jim, I, you know, what do you, you can't leave a candle. You can't send flowers for a 10 day visit to Nelson Mandela. I started talking about what I wanted to do for South Africa and that my dream had been to build a school. And I was thinking, oh, I'll do that in five or six years. Nelson Mandela said, oh, you want to build a school? He jumps up from the table, calls the head of the Department of Education for South Africa, says, get over here right now. Oprah wants to build a school. Wow. And so that's how it started. But I went from village to village to townships looking for girls who had what I had when I was growing up in rural Mississippi, um, poor, but determined. And mm -hmm. so I was looking for that same kind of grit, determination, resilient, resilience, that thing I call it. You know mm -hmm. what that is. Y'all both mm -hmm. do. because it's, it's, it's a thing that you really can't even define, right? Mm -hmm. when you see it in somebody where they just, so I was looking for that in girls and ended up building a school for girls who didn't have the means, but had the desire and the will mm -hmm. to do better in their lives. And now those girls are 27, 28, 29. Wow. They've been to college all over the United States. 
They've been to, from Stanford to Brown to Spelman and everything else in between, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. They've been everywhere. And uh, they end up at our house for Thanksgiving. Amazing. And this year, everybody has to come in a few days early and quarantine um, and then quarantine for four days and then move, in, move into the main space here. And it's a house full of singing and laughter and dancing and music and lots of joy for Thanksgiving. Amazing. What's your house like, Tom? Amazing. Yeah. And just, again, so grateful, I think, for, you know, for all those amazing girls that have done so much to, to be a part of that program. I'm sure they're grateful to you to do that. Um, in our yeah. house, it's, it's interesting because I've, I've been in football for so long. Uh, 22 years professionally, it always comes in the middle of the football season. So it's always kind of just mashed together and whatever friends can come over. And, and um, you know, we usually have a game on that sun on that Sunday. So, you know, it's like, hurry up and, you know, Thanksgiving here, it's upon us. And, you know, the holidays just kind of come and go. So, you know, you kind of overlook a lot of birthdays, you know, Thanksgiving is a lot to be thankful for, but you only get about four hours to enjoy it. You know, practice, usually ends about one or two you eat about three thirty, and then you know you're getting ready for next day of practice so and then same thing with Christmas so you know it's just I'm looking forward to the time when I'm done playing football so that I can have some of those more normal holidays that I had growing up that were important where the family's all together and this year my parents are coming in town so um but you get four a- hours of Thanksgiving and also also what are you actually eating at the Thanksgiving tables? Just like everyone else, just <laughs> like everyone else. You know, that's the one meal where I'm like, screw it, let's go for it. And we all get to enjoy it. So it's, it is, it's a great holiday. There's obviously not the pressure of the holidays where you feel like you got to, you know, kind of run around and do a lot of the things that we feel like we have to do during Christmas. And Thanksgiving is a great day for holidays. And for me, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's still football season. So it's hard for me to, I'm always get anxious during football season because I'm on, you know. And, yeah. um, part of and there's never a time even when, even if you're not playing, if you have a Sunday off, there's never a time during the entire season where you're actually not on, right? I would think that that whole season, you're just like wired up. Yeah. And I explained to Jim, cause we were talking a little earlier, but you know, it's like a, it's a 26 mile marathon of a season, you know, and it's just right when you're in the middle of the marathon in mile 17, you don't have people going, Hey, you know, how you feeling right now? You know what I mean? You're like, I'm running. God damn it. I'm running. <laughs> you know, like shut up and wait till I'm done to let, you know, let me know yeah. how I'm doing. And there's no time to say, Hey, where well, I'm ahead or I'm behind. You just feel like your, your, your goal is to you're measured at the end, you know? And I think because football season is once a week end, you know, you're, you're not typically thinking about how it's going over the course of the season. You're thinking about the moment right now we're in the moment, but you know, again, I think it is perspective in the grand scheme of things. And I look what you're doing and all the help and all the amazing thing you've done for so many people. The best part is being reflective about and having the perspective on what's really important, you know, and I think you think about time with your family or time with the people that you care about the most and helping people. And, you know, I think so many NFL players and, and athletes in general um, do amazing things in their communities to give back how they can. And I think all the organizations that I've been a part of do make a concerted effort to do what we can during the football season. You know, every Tuesday, there's things that guys do in the community to help schools. You know, there's always turkey giveaways and Christmas giveaways and so forth. So uh, we all do the best we can with the different opportunities that we have. And there's such an amazing group of people 
in a locker room. You know, we're all from different parts of the country. I'm 44. I'm playing with guys. A guy looked over at me in the huddle yesterday and he goes, Tom, my mom is 42, you know, and I'm 44. <laughs> and I just I got to laugh, you know, because I'm like, it's just it's just the way it is. So um, it's just I mean, the way it is. So do you the at is. the end of the season? Are you can you finally let go at the end of the season or at the end of the Super Bowl? I know. I know. I, I wish I hope it always goes to that point. But it's a lot. It's again, I feel like you're on a treadmill and you're running it, you know, as fast as you can possibly run. And then finally, at some point, the season ends. And I've been very fortunate to be at the end end where you're in the Super Bowl end, but I've been at other parts where it ends are early and it's always, there's no soft landings in the NFL. It's always a crash landing. So it takes a couple of weeks to get out of the kind of the fight or flight in your body every week. Cause you know, you, you're just, your body's prepared for it. It's uh, you know, I took a hit. We went to block a guy and the guy's about 330 pounds on the other side of the ball. And he had a running start at about from about five yards away. And I wasn't looking and he got me. You know, and if the only thing I'd say is I've been in a car crash and it's worse than a car crash. So, again, what's your body do? You're prepared for it. And you're and, you know, I got to come home every night and I got to take deep in. And before I walk in the house, I got to just, you know, you're in that mood where it's fight or flight. And right now we're so, always fighting. So are you hurting today from that crash? I have a little whiplash. But again, it's like I've had 30 years of it, too. So my body is kind of, you know, it, it's pretty much prepared for it. I don't think. uh you know, there's something about the discipline of a very physical sport that I enjoy because you really do pay the price if you don't prepare for it. You know, there's a mm -hmm. lot of jobs that, you know, is a non-contact. So, you know, you could play another sport and it's not to diminish any other sport. It's just the reality of a sport. But I would say like, you know, in, in baseball, for example, if you're not prepared, maybe you strike out. In football, you get whiplash. So it's <laughs> oh, a little... Yeah. It's just yeah. a little different at the end of the day in golf, you know, oh, well, you know, you miss a putt and you go home, but in football, you really do pay a price. So this, there's an urgency to the sport that I really enjoy and my teammates enjoy. And I think it's an amazing sport for that standpoint that you better be on it. Cause if you're not, you know, you're really with risking your personal kind of health and well being and your teammates too. Are you loving Florida? Have you had a chance to actually enjoy it? Yeah really enjoying it and hey we're supposed to be interviewing you by the I way know, just I know, so you I'm know just, and naturally look at you of the family around i'm thinking are you, are you florida the difference between florida and boston is like yeah. the opposite end of the planet good yeah. god the cold winters versus yeah have you have yeah. you seen his new tuxedo no i haven't seen his new tuxedo <laughs> tell him about your new tuxedo tom I wear flip-flops to a press conference and everyone's like, what's up with that? So I said, ah, that's a Tampa Bay tuxedo right there. I got my, uh, nice. my Birkenstocks on. So I was chilling, you know, and there definitely is a difference in the, um, you know, I know you were in Chicago for so long and you still have a yeah. amazing presence there, but I think that, you know, there's just, uh, it's just very different in every way. You know, there's just, when you're 20 years in one place, like I was in the Northeast, you know, you kind of drive to work without thinking, you know, and then, Yes. It's nice to come to a different place and experience. You drive you know, to work, you get there, and you don't even know how you got there. And then you drive from home, and you don't even yeah. know how you, how you, oh, how did I end up home? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still using my ways. Every place I go, I never wish I'm turned around, looking around. But it is nice to, you know, I, I do love the nice weather. I mean, I don't ever envision going to a place where there's not nice weather anymore. Because I did it long enough where there was, you know, just that attitude where you're just fighting through the winter. 
You, you see people walking down the street and they are just trying to get indoors. Nobody has yeah. time to talk to you, to acknowledge you. There's just a way people move that is just like, okay. And then people start to thaw out in Chicago around April. And yeah. then they'll speak to you or have a conversation. But woo, in the wintertime, you're just trying to get indoors. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there's just so many, so many different aspects that change. And again, you're, 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 you know, the professional life changes, personal life changes. I think everyone's enjoying it. You're always on the move. You're on, you're on the move between, you know, Here, Santa Barbara. I mean, yeah. Santa Barbara and, and, and Maui, which I actually do love, which, which is also a different way of being. I mean, uh, we were building a house for the past 10 years. Let me just tell you that, and, <laughs> and, and there's a lot of aloha time going into that. Because <laughs> sure. you're looking, you're you're looking for the you're looking for the carpenter, and he's like, "Well, the waves were up, so we're out surfing." I mean, yeah. I'm telling you, yeah. my God, when the surf's up, forget it. I mean, yeah. build a house in a lower time. I appreciate, you know, I, I know there's so much emphasis on looking at gratitude and being grateful during this particular season, but I live my life from the space of gra gratitude. Is my religion, I would have to mm -hmm. say, and I am. I feel as blessed as I am because I'm I'm constantly, I literally have kept a gratitude journal. I have stacks of them since wow. like the early nineties. So I started a journal when I was like 15 years old. I still have that journal. And wow. then around 92, 93, there was a woman who came on named Sarah Bonbronic who said, you know, most people journal about all the bad things. If you start looking at the good things in your life, like writing down five things every day that you're really grateful for. And I started that as a practice and now have volumes of them. And they're always, uh, Jim and Tom, they're just the simplest things. It's everything from, oh, I had a delicious raspberry sorbet today yeah. to watch, watch, watching the dogs uh, tumble together on the lawn to you know being able to literally watch the sunset from the bedroom. I mean, just the simple things. And so I spend a lot of time thinking about where I've come from, how I got to be who and where I am and having a deep appreciation for that. I mean, I never, ever, ever lose sight of that. I was just going to say, does having that gratitude and recognizing it early, did, did that cause you to move your life from success to significance? Well, I've always, uh, that's a really good question. And I love that phrase, success to significance, because, you know, my mantra or theme for my, everybody has something going on in their lives that becomes sort of like an anthem or theme for your life. And mine was always, God, use me. How can I be used? And the reason that show, the Oprah show, moved from being just a talk show to a literal, literally a cultural phenomenon in people's lives and being a source of a force for good is because I switched my way of thinking about the show around 89. So I realized oh, I'm, I, I'm not just doing a show. What I really want is to, and, and actually it was a show that I was doing with members of the Ku Klux Klan and skinheads that actually turned me around and another show I'd done with a, a guy who was brave enough to come on with his mistress and his wife. And I saw his wife's face when her husband on national television told her that his girlfriend was pregnant. This was on national television, it was live. And the look on her face 
was such humiliation and sadness. I thought I will never, ever, ever be a part of anything that forces a person to have that kind of shame and embarrassment. That will never, ever happen on my watch again. And the same thing with the, with the KKK members. I saw them signaling each other in the audience and I realized, oh, they're using me. I think I'm exposing their vitriol, but actually they're, they're using this as a platform for recruitment for themselves. And so I went to the producers and I told them, I will no longer be doing a show where anybody gets embarrassed, anybody's shamed, anybody's put in a situation that makes them feel uncomfortable. And I will not be a part of anything that allows uh, hate and vitriol to spread, uh, even if we think we're reporting on it. And so they're like, well, what are we gonna do? And I said, we are gonna do a show that's based on our intention to actually serve the audience and be a force mm -hmm. for good. So don't come to me with any ideas unless you are aligned with what the intention and the real reason for doing it is. And everything has to uplift, enlighten, encourage, entertain, which was our mission. So ultimately, whatever you're doing has to entertain because you're on TV. But how do you use this, this platform as a force for helping people to see themselves and live better lives instead of just putting on a show? And that is when success changed the significance for me. And now what I realized is, is that when you're in pursuit of what is meaningful, what is significant, what brings value, the success automatically comes because that's what everybody's actually looking for. We all want the same thing, you know? You know, what Tom does and what I do, what you do, Jim, all seems so varied, but ultimately what I've realized from thousands of interviews you know, I've talked to over 37,000 people one-on-one -on -one in my career. And what I realized is, is that everybody wants to know, did you see me? Did you hear me? And did what I say mean anything? And every fight that you have with your spouse, with your friend, with your boss, whatever, is always about, did you see me? Did you hear me? And did what I say matter? That's all anything is ever about. It's about did, does, does what I say matter? Do you see me? And when I recognized that, it made it much easier for me to interview anybody from any walk of life about anything, because I know we're all looking for the same thing, to feel a sense of validation and significance in our lives. And I also recognize that, you know, every human being wants the same thing. And all of us have different talents. So Tom, obviously you are the goat of all times for what you do in football. And it is the truest, highest expression of yourself and your talent. Everybody else is looking for the same thing. Everybody in their work wants to be able to live out what is the truest, highest expression of themselves. So we're all striving for the same thing but obviously have different talents and ways of expressing it. And so once you recognize that, I, it, it's really possible to see the significance and value in everybody, in everybody, everybody just wants that. It's the common denominator in the human experience I've learned. Tom, aren't you trying so to do that with all of your teammates and, and lift yeah. everybody? Isn't it, isn't it that, that feeling not so well expressed as Oprah just did, but isn't that what you're always trying to do in some form or another? Yeah, I think it, it so much is that and, and I think when you exactly what Oprah said to talk about, you know, I believe like leadership is so much about 
caring, obviously, about people and my teammates. And, you know, again, people would say, because I've accomplished what I've accomplished, but to me, none of that matters. You know, it's like my teammates deserve for, for the person that is, you know, out there with them to care about them deeply and care about them as a human and their development. And what do I see in them that can allow them to reach their, you know, yeah. to reach and actualize their potential. And I think, you know, sports for us, it plays out on a one given week on this three hour time frame, but it really plays out over the course of a season. In the end, it really plays out over the course of a career, you know, and all these little microcosms of what make a successful team, make a successful family and make a successful show right. and make a successful community and make a successful for life. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's being a constant learner, like knowing that you don't knowing what you don't know is limitless potential. You know, yes. thinking that we know everything. Oh, God, I hear it. And I've been in it for as long as anyone. You know, what I realize is I don't know, you know, what I know versus what I thought I know. And then what I'm continuing to learn, all those things allow me to be the best I can be for the people that I'm serving. Like, I feel like winning for me in sports is so much about me allowing other people to win. Like, I've done enough winning. It's not for me. It's really to watch everyone else grow and learn and, you know, to see parts of themselves that, you know, they get to enrich their lives and the, the lives of their family. You know, I talked to our players before the Super Bowl and I said, guys, there's so many people who have supported us. This is for them. Like we get a chance to go out there. We've got so many people watching and paying attention. Like, let's go do this. It's way beyond us. This is for them. And let's let's be our best for them, for everyone that took the time to get us to this moment, you get to represent all of us. You asked us 53, but behind us 53, there's a hundred other people, you know, and then there's so much of support. So we're so blessed to have that opportunity. I think gratitude's an amazing word. I always use appreciation, perspective, and gratitude, you know, for what we're doing and, and so much of what we want to even do with this show. Yeah, it's sports, but sports for the sake of, of watching other people, develop their physical bodies and their mental, their mental states and their emotional states and how you can bring all three of those together to, you know, again, be the best you can be at a particular moment. And the biggest stage, you know, when it's, when there's no room for air and then look, if there is air and there's adversities to overcome, how are we going to deal with those? You know, and who are you yep. going to rely on when things don't go well? Yep. And how do you literally face those openly and not, you know, sweep it under the carpet. And I like when then when there's an adversity or when there's a, a challenge to be able to look it straight in the eye and, 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 and go for it. You know, I think that's so important. But also what you're doing is exactly what I'm talking about. I, I, I learned that early on, no matter what show I did, Jim, I don't know if you experienced this too when you're interviewing people, but at no matter, I don't care what the show was, at the end of it, the, every person in one form or another said, was that okay? Are you okay? Absolutely. Was that all right? Did you get what you need? Exactly I mean, everybody right. does it. And you know why they do that? Because they want to know, did what I say, did that yeah. come through? Did that yeah. land? Did that matter? Yeah. And I, I think when we recognize that that's what every, every person is looking for in every walk of life. And Tom, obviously, you're doing that with your teammates allowing them to know that their aspirations, their desires, their, you know, ability to contribute, all of that matters to not just, you know, the whole team, but also to the community and, and what it means, you know, for the team. Tom and I talked often about perfection and Tom's been mm. able to touch it. He's had the perfect quarter. He's had the perfect pass. He's grabbed that 
that thing called perfection, but it's like a jellyfish and it slips through his hands and he, and he can't quite grasp it, but he wants to do it again and again and again. And you just pointed something out. I will burn. I'm wondering if in fact you do this after every interview, first of all, have you done the perfect interview or you like the rest of us? Why did I stumble on that word? Why didn't I think of that? Why didn't I follow up with this question? Why was the producer talking in my ear and I couldn't hear? Are you in mm. review like that? And are you trying to touch perfection and have you? No, 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 no. I don't have any of that, Jim. I must say I do not. And you know what, Jim? I don't have a producer in my ear. I've never used an earpiece. So I've never had. Well, live sports, we got to go to commercials. Otherwise, <laughs> it doesn't get paid for. <laughs> I never used an earpiece. I was doing something the other day and somebody asked what earpiece. And I said, no, it irritates me and makes me feel it, it, it annoys me. People talking in my ear, trying to tell me. So, I mean, I, I grew up not using one. And so I've, I've, I've never done that. You know, in the early days I did. And like I would say in my years in Baltimore, and early days in Chicago, I remember asking um, a really stupid question, inappropriate question of Sally Field when she was dating Burt Reynolds. Remember that, Jim? Tom, you were too young, but Sally Fields was in, used to date Burt Reynolds. And I asked the question, because the producers were like, it kept showing up in the prompter, ask it, ask it, ask it, ask it. So I thought I had to ask the question, ask, ask does, does Burt sleep with his toupee on? And she <laughs> shut down. She, she just like went silent. And, and I thought, oh God, I knew I shouldn't have asked the question. We went to commercial break and we came back and then she asked, she answered every question like with monosyllables. Mono, mono and so I learned from that moment, only do what your gut, your instinct tells you to do. I don't care what the producer is, 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 is saying. So that's when I regret it. Have you done the perfect interview? Hmm. I don't know if there is such a thing because there's always another question. There's always something more. There's always, uh, there's always another way to have that conversation. There's always, so no, I, I actually, when I was doing the show every day, I didn't look at the show. I, I never looked at the interviews after I did them. And once I'm done, I'm done. It allows you... What do you, do you think? Have I? Yeah. I did one, and I don't know that I have 37,000, but tens of thousands. The one time when Mike Tyson bit off of Vander Holyfield's ear. Uh, yeah. I walked away from that thinking, fortunately, he didn't hit me. So that was perfect. <laughs> Second of yeah. all, uh, I got every question right in that for the audience and for the people that I work with because that had never happened before and wasn't going to happen again. Uh, never happened in my career and hadn't seen that and hasn't happened since. And I didn't walk away and saying, you know, I should have followed up there. I think I got all the information that I could in the heat of the moment. And I don't want to mm. say that it was perfect, but I don't think I could have done any better. Mm -hmm. mm. Interesting. Yeah. I, I would agree. I thought that LeBron interview, too, was pretty, was pretty special. Thank you. Thank that you. Was pretty I, wish, I wish there were but more you know, people like you who'd have been texting me after that. <laughs> I liked it. I liked it. I think you did a lot of good. Say, I have to say that, um, you know, I've done so many and my most memorable interviews are not with uh, famous people. My most memorable, memorable interview, actually, one of the top 10 most memorable was a show I was doing on divorce, ch children of divorce. And I learned during that show, guys, that most kids are never even told why their parents separated. They wake up 
and the next morning their parent is gone and there's never an explanation. And for whatever reason, you know, <clears throat> culturally, you know, society, you know, you think you're not supposed to sit, talk about the divorce with the children and the children, dad has just disappeared or mom has disappeared and there's no word about it, no explanation about it. And kids blame themselves. They think it's because of the last thing they did or because they didn't do their homework well enough or because they somehow take, take on the energy for themselves. And I ended up talking to little kids and grown kids years later who are still traumatized from not knowing the why of why their, their, their parents split up. And I remember a little red haired boy who was like eight years old who was uh, crying because he said he tried to get, convince his mom to stay and that he saved his allowance, makes my voice crack, saved his allowance to buy her a wing. Um, he said, I bought her a wing to try to get her to stay and she still wouldn't stay and couldn't understand. So that stands out in my memory as, you know, uh, one of the more impactful ones because if nothing else, letting people know that when you're going to split up, your children are a part of that. And they deserve to at least be sat down and told, given the respect that dad will not be here tomorrow morning or mom will not be here. And here's the reason why. And that it's mm -hmm. dishonorable to them not to do so. So that's, mm -hmm. that's one of my, my most memorable mm -hmm. ones. You know, it's been interesting to me in talking to you over the years, uh, Oprah, uh, how much you help other people who have the glare of the spotlight, how mm. willing you are of your time to get to those who are coming into this microscope and aren't oh, really yeah. ready for it. Yeah. And and I'm I'm wondering what your advice to them is in this day and age with social media and with everybody yeah. having a camera and with every moment, you know, being being a moment where you can just step on yourself and 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 do harm to yourself and others. Well, you know, yes, you know, I remember having a conversation with Justin Bieber, I think, around his 18th birthday, and I remember saying to him, "I really feel for you because this is what I've learned and seen repeat itself over and over. If you come into this fame game, and it is a game, if you come into this this space." not knowing who you are without a clear, to use Stedman's word, identity mm -hmm. about who you are and what your values are and what your decisions will be in times of challenge. If you come into it and you don't know that, this, 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 this fame thing will eat you alive. Mm -hmm. It will destroy you. It will take, because fame, in my opinion, is just, is, is being in a space where more people know your name than, than don't. And more people know, know your name. But the truth is, as you have seen in your growth and development, Tom, you're the same person. You're the same person. Inward, mm -hmm. Inwardly, you're the same person. Other people may write about you, say things about you, have their own opinions about you, but you are the same person. Yeah. And even as you're growing and developing, you're still the same person. Sure. Their idea about who you are Changes, yeah, changes, but yeah. you don't change. If you don't know that, that you're the same person, if you don't know who you are, yeah. then you just follow their idea. And everything anybody says about you now influences how you see yourself, which is, in my opinion, one of the tragedies of this moment that we're living in, mm -hmm. that 
everybody is defined not by who they believe themselves or know themselves to be, but by what the rest of the world, what the Instagram world, what the TikTok world, what the you know Twitter world has to say you are, and your life is based on your likes, you know how many likes you get, and so it's very hard to 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 raise children. I'm sure you and Giselle talk about this to raise children who are exposed every day to the opinions of other people um, in ways that can be very damaging. And so, you know, my advice is to hold on, is to hold on to yourself and to know where your center is, to know what matters to yourself, to actually have an idea of what your true values are, to know the people who are going to ride on the bus with you when the limousine's gonna break down Mm -hmm. so that you're not mistaking that for friendship or anything else, you know? Yeah. I was so fortunate to have, you know, obviously great parents that really grounded us. I had three older older sisters who were very grounding for me too. But, you know, my dad always used to say, which was a great compliment to people. He's a real class act, you know, and that used to be such a compliment. And I think now it is, you're just an act. But (laughs) the problem is the acts get just as much attention, sometimes more attention than the class acts. So I'm just hoping that at some point, you know, the, you know, we can rebalance how people see that. Like there's the right things to do and there's the wrong things to do. And there's, I believe there's right ways to represent yourself. And there's, you know, maybe ways in my opinion that don't represent yourself very well. So, you know, you'd always want to think and you look back, wow, I really handled that the best way I could based on the situation and opportunities were that, that were presented at that time, you know, and it's challenging. I think for a lot of, you know, you talk about, you know, and I'm exposed to it just on a daily basis, you know, with the people that I'm around, you know, it's just some people don't have the opportunities that, you know, I was afforded growing up with that were really balanced and stable and, you know, could give you real honest feedback and not people that were, you know, just kind of jumped on the bandwagon too. So again, I think in my position, I try to do the best I can to give, you know, it's, it's some is sometimes it's very challenging because you feel like you make a lot of investment of time and energy into people. And then you mm-hmm. always want to feel like you want that investment of time and energy to, you know, pay, to, to pay itself back and to see that person really succeed. And sometimes it really does, you know, and then other times you go, God, I just couldn't quite get it, get through, you know, and, you know, it definitely has its challenges, I think, uh, from that standpoint, because you want some immediate return too, you know. Well, one of the most rewarding things to me has been to watch these girls that I have mentored since they were 12 years old grow into young women who make sound decisions for themselves, who know how to manage their time, their energy, their money, and are just really, it's just one of the most rewarding things. You know, I did this for them originally, creating that school, but to see them grow into productive people who can be the leaders of their own lives is just, well, God, just so rewarding. I'm so glad I've, you know, I've lived to see it. So that's exciting to me, watching them become the best that they can be. And I know that, so I mean, I hear them sometimes repeating things that I've said or Stedman said, you know, oh, this is the funniest thing, guys. You all know Stedman is really big on identity leadership. Okay. So (laughs) that's the name of of his book. Uh, yeah, it's the name of his book, Identity Leadership. So one day, one of the girls, um, we we're all sitting at the dinner table and one of the girls had gone out on a date and she's coming back with the date. And 
She's like bringing the guy inside. Oh no, oh Lord, she's bringing the guy to the table. And he comes in, we introduce him to everybody. We're all like, oh, come join, sit, us for, sit down for dinner. And Sedman asks the guy, you know, what are you doing? What are you interested in? And the guy happens to say, he says, well, I'm not really sure, sir. sir. I'm kind of like just finished school and really kind of in search of my identity. And everybody <laughs> at the table, all the girls went, no! <laughs> well, you were in the right place. Here we go. Don't say it. Don't say it. Oh, my God. And then Sedman turns and goes, did you say identity? Did you say you identity? Oh, my God. We know we're going to have a two-hour lecture now. Oh, no, no. No, don't say the word. I literally said, girls, let's go. Let's go. Let's start going. Let's go. Let's go. So we come back an hour later. Stedman is sitting at the table with the guy. He's got the salt shaker, the spoons, the da 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 illustrating identity leadership. Oh, my God. It was yeah. so fun. He's a great teacher. He's a great teacher. He, oh my he's god! He's a great man. Don't don't mention the word identity, though. You will get a lecture. Yeah. <laughs> Fresh off their dramatic conference championship win against the Chiefs, Bengals quarterback Joe Burrow joined the podcast and spoke with Tom and I about making it to his first Super Bowl. Our front office did a great job of bringing in guys that not only fit what we needed on the field, but off the field as well in the locker room. And you know, it's just been a a whirlwind couple of weeks. You seemingly have tremendous confidence, and, and we've seen that all the way back to those days at LSU. And, and can you just speak a little bit to the confidence that you have gained throughout the course of this season, particularly coming off that knee injury? Yeah, I think my my confidence in myself hasn't really changed. I would say my confidence in my body, being able to physically do the things that I needed to, to you know, win games has kind of changed throughout the year. You know, at the beginning of the year, I was basically eight months out from my surgery. And, you know, I wasn't quite making as many plays as I had in the past with my legs. And so I kind of had to, you know, rethink the way I was playing early in the year and trying to, you know, play more in the pocket within the structure of the offense. And then about halfway through the year after the bye week, I gained a little more confidence on my on my knee and I was starting to make some of those plays in the pocket, making people miss the way I had before the injury. And then I was kind of able to do the things that I wanted to from there on out. I had a whole career of playing in the pocket, so I was never <laughs> able to make too many plays outside the pocket. So it's a great luxury to have. But I will say it is much safer to be in the pocket than out of the pocket. So, um, you know, some of those plays you made yesterday, I saw one of those great third down runs you had. That was a terrific play. And you know, in those moments, you really have to go for it. And I always think of like John Elway when he, you know, dove for a first down there in the Super Bowl against the Packers and he was kind of helicoptered in the air. You know, you do got to, at different points, do whatever it takes to get the job done. So, you know, in the pocket, out of the pocket, making throws, you know, making reads, getting yourself in a good play, making good decisions for the team is what long term success is going to be about for you. Tom, what do you see in the toughness? Uh, of Joe Burrow. He's been sacked 63 times this year, uh, yet he gets up every play. It's just amazing, uh, Joe, that you just have that that ability to get up and, and you know, you shake it right off. Uh, Tom, what impresses you about that? You know, I love it. I love it because, you know, the quarterback, you know, there's very few ways to display toughness, you know, from a quarterback because we're not, you know, we don't play at the line of scrimmage. You know, we don't have to block. We don't have to tackle. 
have to go hit anybody. But the way that we can show our toughness is to stand in the pocket and make throws. And sometimes you get the shit knocked out of you and you got to get up and just go on to the next play. And you don't want to ever show anyone, man, he really, you know, he really got me good on that. So and I think what I love about Joe's game is Joe just, he does, he does just that, you know, he gets knocked down, he gets up and he's ready for the next play. And I think the team gains a lot of confidence in that because the team needs to know that the quarterback's going to be there week in and week out. And yeah, you have some very tough injuries like, you know, ACL injuries that look, you just can't, it's just the, the reality of that injury, but there's probably a lot of other things that you can overcome. And even, you know, watching Jimmy Grappolo play yesterday and he banged his thumb up really badly. Um, you know, he, he overcame that to get his team to that position. Matt Stafford's had a lot of injuries over the course of his career that he's really toughed it out. So, you know, some of the great qualities in quarterbacks is toughness. Brett Favre is a guy that I, you know, everyone loves Brett Favre for a lot of reasons. But, you know, what Brett did from the quarterback position and stayed in the pocket and, and, and out of the pocket, but made play after play and was as tough as they come. Peyton Manning uh, had an incredible streak of games for his neck injury. So, you know, being available to the team is critical because they need to count on you. And Joe, you know, Joe stands in there, makes the plays and you get knocked down and he gets up. And I think you know, from a defensive standpoint, that's a little discouraging too. Sometimes they feel like, man, they really, you know, they got me really good on that. But, you know, they see you get up and they're like, shit, I can't get this guy out of the game. So <laughs> there's there's a pretty good, pretty good feeling when you know you've accomplished that, you know, from a quarterback standpoint. Jim Gray with Tom Brady. Let's go is brought to you by GoldenNuggetCasino.com. Now online in Michigan and New Jersey, play your favorite online slots or table games like blackjack, roulette, and so much more with over 700 games to choose from. Only at the GoldenNuggetCasino.com. Joe, is there anything you'd like to ask Tom? Uh, some advice about what it's like to go through this? Tom's <laughs> been in 10 Super Bowls. You're now embarking on your first. Not too dissimilar. And might I point out uh, that... You both have something in common uh, against the Raiders there. Uh, the tuck rule, Tommy was kind of born uh, because of Walt Coleman uh, and yep. the non-whistle whistle, whistle uh, of Jerome Boger. So there's a little bit in common, but is there <laughs> anything that you might uh, like to ask Tom uh, as you get ready to go well, uh, on your first Super yeah. Bowl, John? I would like to say, you know, kind of piggybacking on that toughness that, that Tom was talking about, you know, I kind of, you know, my earliest memory of something like that from a quarterback was when, Tom, I think you were playing the Bills maybe or the Titans. And yeah. you, were running, you were running to the right and you slid and somebody just knocked your head off. The helmet yeah. goes flying. Yep. And, I mean, Nate you, Clements. Yeah. <laughs> you got up so fast. And I saw that and I was like, I want to – I want to be like that. I'm going to do that. I forget how old I was. I mean, I was probably in middle school at this point, but I just remember that vividly and trying to model myself after that. It's awesome. And I think the two, you know, as, is is you know, you, you watch players that are older than you, Joe, and you watch things that they do and you emulate different things because you like the way that's, exactly how I was watching Joe Montana and Steve Young and Brett Favre and Dan Marino and John Elway. So it's an amazing, you know, playing quarterback in the NFL challenges you in so many different ways. And, you know, you got to be a leader for the team and you've got to, you know, set the example and you've got to, you know, show a lot of toughness, you know, and then I think even with success comes at diff it's different challenges. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to watch 
you know, you as you grow as a player to deal with the success of being in the NFL, not just getting to the NFL, you know, and I think everyone goes through that. But I have no doubt just watching you and the poise you have um, and the people that, you know, you surround yourself with that you'll handle those things so well. So I think for this next few weeks, it's it's a great couple of weeks. And I think I always had great advice from Coach Belichick. He said, what, what we remember most from this week is the is whether we win or lose. So, <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't if, if believe me, if it and unfortunately, I've been a part of three Super Bowl losses. You know, those you don't remember those much. But when you win, you remember everything. So the, the best part is ultimately getting to the game. And when you get to the game, you're going to realize it's just that. It's exactly what you've done all season long. The ball's going to get kicked off, and it's going to feel like a football game. Getting to that point, it'll feel quite a bit different than any game. But you just realize that when you get to that moment, um, it's a really exciting time for everyone. And I'm sure it's really exciting for your family and your friends. And it should be because it's – We've all dreamed about getting to that moment. So um, I'm just happy for you and your team. You know, you guys have overcome a lot, as it should be, and you've earned it. And, uh, you know, football is about earning it every single day, every week. And, you know, when you get to the postseason, there's no margin of error. And you guys went into a really tough place to play in, in Kansas City and got the job done. And uh, I know that's a great feeling. It's probably one of the great feelings you'll ever feel in the locker room after a game. Um but there's only one feeling that's better is if you go take care of the one two weeks from now. Yeah, and the locker room was pretty special after the game. That was a lot of fun. And, you know, like you said, all the distractions of Super Bowl week, I'm already, you know, they already talked to me about all the the media appearances that I'm going to have to do. So I'm mentally preparing myself for that, trying to, you know, limit limit that as much as I can to focus on the game. Final thought, Joe, before we let you go. How are you feeling and dealing with it? You may have had some of this at, at LSU, but, you know, America's like discovering you. You know, everybody is is kind of, you know, embracing you. And so you're going to probably have a lot of sentiment, maybe not uh, here in Los Angeles because, because of the Rams, but you're going to have a lot of sentiment across the country, uh, this feeling of people wanting to see you succeed. Uh, because they like what they see. They like the confidence. They like the way you play. They like your toughness and so forth. Um, is it something you have to mentally prepare for uh, to have this wave of, of popularity? No, not really. Um, you know, I kind of take it all with a grain of salt because, you know, everyone's cheering for you to succeed at one at one moment and then you hit the highest point and they're all waiting to cheer you on your way down the hill. So, you know, I'm, I have a great support group around me to keep me level-headed. I got a great group of friends and family that, you know, I lean on to keep me grounded in, in these moments. And, you know, I kind of just eliminate all of the distractions. Tom, any final thoughts for, for Joe? I know Joe, obviously a great player. I think one of the great decisions he ever made was leaving Ohio State to get out of that godforsaken place and go to <laughs> LSU. So as a Michigan man, that was that was I could tell how smart he was when he did that. Thank God. That was one of the best decisions you ever made, Joe. Well, I think it was too, but maybe for different reasons than you might have. <laughs> Hi everybody, Christopher Mad Dog Russo here. Familiar? You should be. Well, now you can catch Mad Dog's Daily Bite each day as a podcast where you'll hear my thoughts and opinions on the biggest topics around the world of sports, NFL 
baseball, golf, NBA, even the hockey. That you know you can count on. That's Mad Dog's Daily Bite. Drops daily anywhere you get your podcasts. And you can also hear me weekdays 3 to 6 Eastern on Mad Dog Unleashed, Sirius XM Channel 82, or anytime on the SXM app. Welcome back to the best of Let's Go, as Larry reacts to the incredible games from the conference championship round. Joe Burrow. I think the country is starting to fall in love, if they haven't already, from LSU, from coming back from the knee surgery, from the Heisman Trophy, to just the way that things have gone for him and the Cincinnati Bengals. It's, it's, it's fun to watch, and he's, and he's terrific to watch. He really is, Jim. You, he's unflappable. I mean, there's plays in a game that, you know, most people will be completely dejected by. He's able just to overcome those and, and stay within himself. I mean, the play that, that really defined that game for me last night was uh, is watching him on that third down conversion. Um, a defensive player from the Kansas City Chiefs had him in the grass. Um, he, he slipped out of that tackle, was able to rush for a first down. And you could just look at the body language of the defenders on the Kansas City Chiefs. They were demoralized and dejected, um, you know, thought they had him off the field and going to be able to get a short field coming back to have an opportunity to score. And they weren't able to do that. And they really just took the win out of their sails. What do you see in him? And I know it's a team effort and he's got terrific receivers and we can talk about all of them. And things have just turned so quickly in Cincinnati. So obviously there's more than one man, but if you can pin the it factor on him, what is it about Joe Burrow? First and foremost, I look at it as he's the toughness, Jim. I mean, there's nobody. He's the second most sacked quarterback in the National Football League this year. Um, he's hit continuously. He never gets uh, gun shy. He stands right in there. Guys barreling down on him, hitting him in his legs, hitting him in his chest, hitting him in his head. He stands in and delivers tough throw after tough throw. He never points the finger. He takes responsibility for the mistakes he, he made. I don't know if you watched when he threw the, threw the pick um, in the second half and, you know, he got back to the sideline, there was no finger pointing. He went and had a conversation with his coaches, reassured his teammates that he was going to lead them to victory. And those are the intangibles that you look at and you see, this is a young man that is growing into a superstar right before our eyes. Is he there yet? Or are we anointing him just a little too soon? In two weeks, if he's able to, to raise that, that Lombardi trophy, Jim, you got to put him in a superstar category. Um, you know, he, he's transcended a franchise who has been historically a, 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 a team that has looked at has been looked at by everybody as a as a, you know, a, a bad franchise, a franchise who can't get out of their own way. He's single handedly. I'm not saying he's the only reason, but he is a huge reason behind the fact that he, he's transformed uh, everybody's opinion of what this organization can do, not only this year, but for, for 10 plus years moving forward. Um, they have an arsenal of talented players that are young um, and hungry and, and still coming. You look at the running backs, both of those running backs, P. Ryan and Mixon, both were fantastic yesterday in the passing game and the running game. Um, the offensive line really stepped up. They did a much better job than they did uh, a week ago against the Tennessee Titans. So you, you really have to just tip your hat to that coach. Uh, coach Taylor's done a great job of getting that team prepared. And there's a likability factor. I mean, you yeah. have that, quite frankly. People people come in contact with you. They see you on television. They watch you play. They like you. Uh, I watch Joe Burrow. I don't know Joe Burrow. I've met him. I've interviewed him. But I don't know him. But I like him. I just like the way he kind of goes about everything. And, and there seems to be uh, humility to him, a confidence to him. 
there's just a lot to him that's easy to like. And, uh, yeah, I, how I, much does that play into this? I think it plays a lot into it, Jim. He, I think we're going to see him on a lot of commercials this, this offseason. Um, you know, he does have a lot of wonderful, likable qualities to him. Um, he knows how to be self-deprecating, laughs at himself. You know, people ask him about his chain and do, are the diamonds fake? You know, I got too much. I got too much money to wear fake now. I, I just love, you know, the interactions he has with the media and uh, his quirky interviews after games. I mean, if, if you are a, a fan of people, I mean, you can't you cannot like Joe Burrow. And there's an honesty to him as well, without 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 getting into people's face, which could, which can turn people off. There, there's a directness to him, uh, which comes off as as you know, cool, but I mean, not arrogant. You get, no, you don't get the nickname uh, Joe Cool for for no reason. I mean, everybody, uh, you know, sees him in the in the locker room with the cigars after the game, and you know, it's tradition that he started down in LSU, and and you love that he's just being himself, Jim. He's not out there putting on the front trying to be like this guy, trying to be like that guy. He is who he is. He embraces it. And I, and I really enjoy that. And, it, you know, in a, in a society now, everybody's trying to conform to, you know, the popular narrative. Joe Burrow does what Joe Burrow does. That's a good narrative. Jim Gray with Larry Fitzgerald. Let's go is brought to you by Mastro Steakhouse. A trip to Mastro's is a culinary adventure. Experience the good life with handcrafted cocktails, exceptional steaks, and the freshest seafood. Visit Mastros.com for locations and reservations. And as we flip the other side of the coin here, Patrick Mahomes, a 21-3 lead. He's now been to four straight AFC Championship games, uh, played in the last two Super Bowls, won't be going this year. Uh, he also just given the American public and Chiefs fans so much joy in the way that he plays yesterday, really off in the second half. Um, when the game was 21-3, Everybody was already saying Chiefs are going to the Super Bowl. They're going back to Los Angeles uh, to play in the big game. Uh, was that your feeling as well? And, and what went so awry? Was it all the undoing there at the end of the first half when they didn't get any points, Larry? Well, Jim, I think that is where the start, where the, the issues began. I mean, you go into the half, you're up 11 points at that time. Um, obviously, you would love to, to have a touchdown uh, and be able to go up. Um, you know, three scores, but you have to look at the percentages for a team to be able to come on the road in the, in the AFC championship um, to be able to, to score 14 points um, to be able to, you know, tie you and win. It's, it's, it's difficult. You, you want to take the field goal there um, and be able to continue to put points on the board. This is a team that hadn't played well. You want to just keep pouring it on and they got away from the running game. That's really what jumped out at me early um, in the second half, Jim, they started getting to a lot of deep throws and, and, Patrick was doing a lot of drop back passing and I would love to be able to see them mixing the run a little bit more often because they did a great job of keeping a balanced attack in the first half. Um, you know, when you get away from that and also the, uh, the Bengals made some great halftime adjustments, the way they started rushing Patrick Mahomes, trying to keep him inside the pocket, playing more zone cover. So Travis Kelsey can't work the middle and, and, and Hill couldn't get behind him on the back end. They did a really good job of, uh, of containing him. Larry, as I was watching the end of the game there, when Kansas City had the ball before they kicked the field goal to go into overtime. That kind of struck me as a team that was playing the clock more than they were playing the opponent and not wanting to give them the ball back with enough time. How did it hit you? No, I didn't get that feeling. Um, I, I think they were doing a good job of, of managing the clock. Um, you know, if that was the case, they would have they stayed in bounds on a couple 
opportunities that they had to be able to keep the clock running while also making first downs, which they didn't do. Um, Patrick Mahomes got out of bounds on the scramble when he was going out. I'm to talking the about the very end of the possession where they went back about 20-something yards in that last possession. Mahomes well, was running around. He fumbled the ball. Uh, lucky that they didn't lose it right there. It just seemed very casual, nonchalant, and it seemed like they were in the mode of, we better run down the clock. We've got the field goal. And it just it just seemed like a mess, quite frankly. No, I think that was just Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes. I mean, it's very easy to point out that one play where he scrambled, took a sack, fumbled the ball. They were fortunate to be able to recover. But he did that same play in the first half um, in the red zone when he hit Tyreek Hill streaking across the back of the end zone. I mean, he was running around doing the things, improvising like he does so well. I mean, so you can't you can't you know, chastise him for making plays and trying to make plays when he does it so well, best in the business at doing it. Um, did it work out in that time? No, it didn't. But, you know, he's, he's Houdini back there, and he, and he makes those type of plays. They were fortunate enough to get that ball back and kick the field goal. Um, but, I mean, I, I, like, I like the way he plays, Jim. I, I love his energy. I love his enthusiasm. I love his charisma for making those type of plays. I mean, that's why we all enjoy watching his, his play. You went from asking a question to chastising him. You're an interesting man today. No, Jim, I just I, I love what he brings to the game, um, you know, the way he's able to extend those plays and and, and, and do the things he does on the field. And at times it, 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 it backfires and you see plays like that happen. And it happened, unfortunately, for them at the most inopportune time of the season. Chastising someone is when they lose. Picking games to a sportscaster as opposed to a perennial all-pro first-teamer NFL man of the year. That's what being chastised is. <laughs> Jim, don't be so sensitive, man. Come on now. I always, <laughs> I always, I always, I always known you as a man that has really thick skin. Let's, let's, not, let's not get so bristly. Please, come on. It's not about me. I just wouldn't want you to think that I was chastising Patrick Mahomes. Love Patrick Mahomes. No one is Thank more you. fun to watch than Patrick Mahomes, and no one has had a greater impact on the game in the last several years than Patrick Mahomes. He's changed it all. With that, let me remind you that GoldenNuggetCasino.com is available. In Michigan and New Jersey, you can play your favorite slots and table games like Blackjack Roulette and so much more. Please download the app on your phone or play online at GoldenNuggetCasino.com. you got to be 21 years of age or over. Again, it's available only in Michigan and New Jersey. And if you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-270-7117 or 1-800-GAMBLER. It's coming soon to your state. That's GoldenNuggetCasino.com. All right, so we've got the Cincinnati Bengals all set up to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, Joe Burrow going to be just the seventh quarterback in Super Bowl history to be able to start the game in just his first or second NFL season. And the Cincinnati Bengals have a chance to do something they've never done before, as well as the L.A. Rams. L.A. Rams have never won a Super Bowl. Neither have the Cincinnati Bengals. Don't jump on me. I know the Rams won a Super Bowl. They were in St. Louis. But the only team in Los Angeles to ever win a Super Bowl was the Raiders with Jim Plunkett, Marcus Allen, and Coach Flores. So a couple of firsts will occur uh, here a couple weeks from now. Uh, here in Los Angeles. Larry, let's dissect the NFC Championship game in our next segment, but uh, a lot of coaching hires. Uh, the most notable seems to be Josh McDaniels uh, going to the Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, McDaniels, who had a head coaching job um, in Denver many years ago, uh, almost became the coach at the Colts, decided not to go, 
been the top guy, top uh, offensive coordinator and lieutenant for Bill Belichick for a number of years. Coach Belichick compared Josh McDaniels to Nick Saban, uh, who's won all those championships at Alabama, saying that McDaniels has the same type of great football mind uh, as Saban uh, in terms of uh, his ability and his mind as a football coach. What do you think about that hire and the other hires that are going on around the National Football League? Well, I've always been a big fan of, of Josh McDaniels um, and just the intricacy of, of his offense. I think he's going to do a great job. Um, I think when you take a position in National Football League, you have to look at the organization holistically and you look at Derek Carr um, and you have to like what you see in him. He's an outstanding human being, loves to compete. Um, enjoys to play the game, is, is, a, is a tremendous teammate to everybody in that community. And, um, you know, it's a great person to be able to build your system around. And, uh, you know, what better place to be able to do that with a great owner like Mark Davis, who's going to give you every single tool you need to go out there and have success with. Larry, there's still several more openings uh, that will have to be filled by National Football League teams uh, as we're just uh, about midway through the hiring cycle. Uh, is there anybody who you see that stands out that you would say, this guy should have a job right now and I would hire him immediately. Is that Jim Harbaugh? Is that Brian Flores? Who is that? Well, I mean, you talk about Jim Harbaugh and his experience. Um, you know, he, he led his team in the National Football League to a Super Bowl with the San Francisco 49ers years ago, was in the college football uh, championship uh, playoffs this year, has has a proven track record. And I know um, the Minnesota Vikings are in high pursuit of him, it seems like. And um, obviously what Brian Flores did late in the season uh, with the Miami Dolphins, you know, you have to think he's got to be, um, you know, on, on a lot of people's top of their list. But Byron Leftwich, just knowing him as well as I do, um, his understanding of systems, his relationship with players. Um, and then also, you think he was drafted to Jacksonville Jaguars, played really good football for them for many years, um, has a great relationship in the community with that city. Um, and I, I just personally would love to see him get an opportunity. Um, he's, he's worked his tail off um, as a player and, and obviously as a coach and, um, you know, winning the championship with our, with our co-host Tom Brady and Bruce Arians um, last year. I, I just, I really, I would love to see him get the opportunity. You just mentioned Tom Brady, our co-host. Uh, kind of an eventful weekend here uh, before the championship games. Uh, you never retired from the National Football League. To my knowledge, you've never turned in your retirement papers. So you have been the subject of tremendous interest, and your decision has been scrutinized and under a microscope. What do you think he's going through uh, having news break about him that's not coming from him? Well, you know, first of all, as, as his friend, um, you know, I, I hate to see that. Um, there's nobody who has dedicated his life um, and, and in pursuit of greatness and done more for our game uh, than Tom Brady. I mean, what he's done on the field is one thing. What he's done in terms of worldwide visibility, um, TV contracts, franchise values, Tom Brady is at the, at the tip of the spear of all of that. And if anybody deserves the right to, to have, um, you know, time to think about his decision, it's him. Um, I, I don't want to speculate on, on what he's going to do or what he should do. I want our friend to, to make decision that's best for him and his family. And at the end of the day, I just want him to be a happy man, uh, regardless of what he decides to do. And, and tell us what it's like to go through this. Well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a tough thing to think about when you've done something for 30 plus years. Um, you dedicated your life to it. Um, you know, everything is taking a back seat to it. Um, 
you know, it's to be able to play at the level he's played, it takes a, a level of sacrifice that most people can't even comprehend um, from a physical punishment to the workouts, to the time away from your family. Um, it, it's, it's, a, it's a life altering pursuit. And, um, you know, to, to, to walk away from what you've done for 30 plus years is, is no easy task. And especially for somebody who's still at the very top of his game, um, is in the running for National Football League MVP at 44 years old. Um, so if he decided to retire, I mean, it would be done at the very, very top of his game still. And, um, you know, so it's, it's a lot to consider. Let's go and let's talk about what happened yesterday with the Rams. Uh, San Francisco had an opportunity to put this game away. Don't want to single anybody out, but Jaworski Tart. It was like a long fly ball to shallow center field. Matthew Stafford just put it up there, and everybody waiting for it to come down, and Tart dropped the ball inexplicably. That might have ended the game because the next play, uh, they go down and pick up a bunch of yardage with uh, Odell Beckham and, and, and then go on and win the game, uh, coming back and scoring those unanswered points. Um, that was with about seven minutes left in the game, Larry. Um, it's going to be a long, long offseason for Mr. Tart and his teammates because of that. Yeah, Jim, that was a that was a tough play to watch. Um, you know, they were they were winning by three with you know a little bit more than seven minutes to go in the game, and he would have caught that pass and had some some opportunity to run and put some put some yards, uh, you know, uh, in their favor. You know, to be able to gain some much needed yards, and who knows, get another field goal, score a touchdown, go up by ten points at that that juncture might have been able been able to break their back. Um, so, you know, plays like that, you know, obviously swing the momentum of the game. They were able to connect on a few passing plays down the field and, and tie that game. Um, but it really just it really took the win out of their sails on that as well. And it's, it's, it's tough. Those momentum plays. I mean, you, you have to have those. And whenever you see a drop pick, you know, they always seem to, you know, hurt the team more so than just that one play. You know, the team's able to get momentum. Like You feel like you got a second breath, second win, and you're able to go and do something more with it. And um, that, that was tough to see. How many teams are sitting home today wondering – how the Rams made it here to the Super Bowl. Do you think that everybody's saying this was just a huge missed opportunity because obviously Tampa had an opportunity here, uh, couldn't get it done in those last 48 seconds. Uh, they've got to be kicking themselves today. Um, going up against a San Francisco team that has a fundamental inability to put points on the board uh, looks like a pretty good opportunity to advance to the Super Bowl. And the Rams uh, left it out there for others to do it. I'm sure Green Bay, and we can talk about Aaron Rodgers, uh, they're going to feel like this is a huge missed opportunity. Um, how much do you kick yourself in the offseason when you see another team advance that then you think that you're better than? Well, I don't think you can look at it that way, Jim. The, the Rams have made the plays necessary and they've got the bounces um, in football games that they needed to advance. I mean, there's there's no team that wins a championship or competes for a championship that doesn't have a few breaks that, that go their way, Jim. Um, there was a lot of them that happened throughout the season. That, that bounced in their way. Sean McVay does a great job of coaching that football team. They're an opportunistic group. Um, you know, they've had times where they haven't, they have not looked, you know, like a Super Bowl contender football team, but when it comes down to it, they make the plays to be able to advance and, and they did it again this week. Um, it's amazing to me watching the Rams offensively 
you know who their bell cow is in, in Cooper Cup. And Sean McVay continues to find ways to get him open, to be able to exploit defenses in the red zone, um, in the deep passing game, in the admitted passing game, in the screen game. The guys are simply unbelievable, Jim. And you know he is their number one target, and he still finds a way to go out to get 11 catches for 180-plus yards, two touchdowns, had his fingerprints all over that game in pivotal moments. He's spectacular to watch. And, and, and the Rams have made the plays. And defensively, I don't recall, you know, over the course of a season, a team that puts as many hard hits on their opponents as the Rams do. I mean, they have a speed and a veracity and a ferociousness that's almost unmatched. It's incredible how they're knocking guys down, seemingly all within the rules, and they're leaving a mark on several plays there has to be a toll that's taken when you're getting physically popped like that time and time again throughout the course of a game. Well, Jim, you couldn't have said it any better. And it all starts up from what Aaron Donald may be the, the, the greatest at the end of the, at the end of the time, he, at the end of his career, he may go down as the greatest defensive lineman to ever play the game. Um, he, he made the, the game winning play at the end, putting that pressure on Jimmy Grappolo, making him throw that interception late in the fourth quarter. Um, and, and, from the secondary linebacker crew, they really do a great job of making you pay when you go across that middle and your ball carrier doing a great job of getting the ball out. Um, you know, they really fly around. And um, that's why they went out there and made the big trade last year for Jalen Ram. That's why they made the acquisition of Von Miller and did the things that really, you know, spruce up that defense because they knew they had the playmakers offensively to score, but you got to get stops to win championships in the National Football League, Jim. Special thanks, Dave the Snake Hagen. He had a lot to do here today. Production assistance by Harris Fabishoff to our sponsors, Mastro's USAA, Ring United Wholesale Mortgage, and GoldenNuggetCasino.com. The Let's Go Podcast with Tom Brady was produced by 199 Productions in collaboration with Scratchy Productions. We're going to talk to you again next Monday night right here on Sirius XM. Let's go. Sirius XM Podcasts.